Hi, this is Jeff Dowds, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. This is Scott Medina with Sonic Perspectives talking with Jeff Downs today, of course, from the bands Asia and Yes, and uh, most importantly at the moment is the DBA, Downs Braid Association. Thanks for joining us today, Jeff. Uh, Nice to speak to you. Yeah. Well, really excited to have this new album come out, the fourth album from you guys, and uh, thought we'd start off maybe by... Just going back 10 years, and, and could you give us maybe the background and tell us a bit about how you and Chris came together and developed your musical relationship? Sure, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, we got together about uh, 10 years ago, uh, almost to the day, actually. And uh, we did a show in uh, 2010, uh, which was a Buggles Reformation show. And, and Chris was working with um, uh, Trevor Horn on a project called The Producers, and we did a gig with the Buggles, uh, playing the whole of the Age of Plastic, and, uh, and that's how I got to meet Chris, and he said, oh, you know, I've always been a huge Buggles fan, and it'd be really nice to work with you one day, and so um, it, it got to the point where I was in LA the following, uh, early the following year, as I say, about early 2011, I was working on the, uh, the new Yes album. Uh, at that time, fly from here, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know it was a thing. Chris said, "You know what? I'd love to write with you one day." And, and so he just moved to LA. So the kind of planets aligned, and we got to get that way. Yeah, brilliant. Well, of your various bands and projects that you're in, certainly over the last decade, DBA has had the most studio output. So your heart really seems to be in it. Yeah, I think it's uh, something that um, you know we felt had uh, because Chris was over in LA and I was over in the UK. It meant that we had to develop this relationship of working remotely, and uh, you know something that I think you know in recent times with the whole pandemic, it's the way that you know a lot of musicians have, uh, have started to collaborate in that way. But it's something that we did really from the beginning, and I think that. Uh, it's something that we've perfected and worked on, and uh, it's been it's been great to you know be on our fourth album uh, that uh, you know we've come up with now. I know it's it's interesting that the band is a duo, and yet both of you are primarily keyboard players. So how do you navigate that in the songwriting? Well, it's interesting really because I, I've got a history. I used to work with bass players, you know, even go back to Trevor Horn or, or John Wetton or Greg Lake or Chris Squire. Right, right. Uh, I always seem to have ended up, even Glenn Hughes, you know, I always seem to work with bass players. So it was kind of interesting to work with another keyboard player. And Chris is very, uh, he was very into the Buggles keyboard parts particularly, not just the Buggles itself, but, you know, the way that I did all this 
keyboard orchestration. So it was nice to to join forces with Chris and um, you know and, and come together in that way and uh, you know pool our ideas and uh, it was a different way of, of working definitely. But uh, I think that you know the proof is there that it, it does actually work and you know we have a, a sort of common ground that we, uh, we we collaborate on. Does one of you come up with the initial ideas and then the other embellishes on it, or how does that work? Yeah, generally, generally, I, I give Chris a, a, a batch of ideas, and uh, and he, he gets his head around them when he gets the time, because obviously he's been very you know very busy working with his mainstream projects. But uh, as I have working with uh, you know my live stuff with Yes and Asia and uh, and those things, so it's. Uh, it's been a more, more of a, a kind of labour of love in some respects that we've had this project going whereby we've been working, you know, with our respective careers elsewhere, but then we come together and we make these uh, these albums together. Yeah. What songs are you most happy with on this new album? Well, I think it's it's an album that's conceived as an album as opposed to it being, uh, you know, a... a you know, just a collection of songs. I think so much more on this album. I think we're, we're both big album lovers, you know, in terms of not wanting just to have songs cherry-picked here and there. In the way that it's gone in many ways, you know, with Spotify and things like that, people just sort of dart around and play, you know, individual tracks from here, there and everywhere. But uh, I think it was very much in our minds that we wanted to do something that was... Um, you know, a sort of creative and collective uh, way of working. And uh, you know, as I say, we're both big album lovers, both vinyl fans. And uh, so we, we, I think rather than picking out individual songs, I think that we, we felt that we wanted to do something that was a collective rather than, uh, you know, as I say, individual songs. Yeah, yeah. How did the development of COVID impact with the writing and recording of this album or was it pretty much just your standard procedure of doing it remotely anyway well it was pretty much the way that we've been working historically because we see chris as i said before chris was you know in la and i was over here so a lot of these ideas were exchanged over the internet and uh, it, it's as i say it seems to with the pandemic it seems to be the way that it's gone with a lot of other people's way of working and, and uh, so it, it was not sort of that that weird for us it wasn't that different really in many ways uh, we just kind of got on with it and uh, you know the, the subject matter I think of the album we, we wanted to make an album that was you know had sort of positivity uh, certainly in these times that uh, you know which I get a refreshing outlook not just on on, uh, on the music but on the fact that Chris was very much from the pop field, and I, you know, much more in latter years have been much more on the pop side. So we we kind of pulled our ideas, and and, and somewhere in the middle, we came up with uh, you know with our own style. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the musicians, <clears throat> other musicians on the album, and how did you enjoy their where their contributions took the music. Well, I think on, on the previous album, we, we stretched out even a bit more on uh, contributions from other musicians. But we've got a great rhythm section. I think Ash Stone and uh, Andy Hodge really laid the foundation. So it took it away from it just being, 
you know, two guys working with uh, maybe a drum machine and, uh, you know, a pro you know, very project-based, much more of a, a, a bad sound, much more of an overall feel of, of uh, you know, having these extra musicians in. You know, Chris's voice works really well with, say, Mark Armand, who comes from a very much a pop background, and, and say, Dave London, who's much more progressive with Big Big Train, and uh, neo-progressive music. So it was kind of nice to be able to to have that spectrum of musicians as well on board. Mm -hmm. So um, so how do you see the progression of DBA over the past decade? And what has excited you the most about how things have progressed? Well, I think we, when we started out, we were just putting our, you know, dipping our toes in the water because... We didn't really know. We we just wanted to work together and write some songs together, but I think as um, the time has progressed, we've we felt that it has more, you know, more substance, and we've got more into, as I say, uh, adding um, other musicians, uh, you know, creating more not more of a band sound, but more of a bigger spectrum rather than the first album was very much uh, two guys in a you know, a drum machine and, you know, some synths and that kind of thing. This this is, uh, you know, ha having a, a bigger bigger perspective. And I think, you know, it comes comes full circle with the things like the the album sleeve, you know, the Roger Dean album sleeve. Yeah. Um, it's, it's much more, uh, it's more, more kind of epic. And, and I think that the fact that we wanted to get the vinyl out as well so that people listen to this as a whole album rather than, you know, just uh, as I said before, cherry picking stuff off there. So it's uh, it, it's, it gives it, I think, a, a much broader spectrum. I think also having the the narrated dialogue as well gives it, you know, cohesion that uh, that, that makes you know for an, for an album rather, you know, something that's a, 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 a an entity rather than just fragments. Yeah, that that's really effective what uh, Barney does there with the narration throughout the piece and then of course uh, toward the end with the remembrance of, of really closing it in such a emotional way. Yeah, I think it's, it, uh, you know, it, I think this album particularly, it very much bears mine and Chris's souls. You know, I think that we, 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 we're both lovers of the same kind of music and, and I think that you know, coming together on this album was very much, you know, there's a lot of depth to it. There's, there's you know, there's pathos in there. There's, uh, you know, some classical undertones to the music. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a much wider spectrum, I think, than when we started out with, you know, these sort of almost Bogglesy-like pop songs. I think we've kind of moved into a, a wider zone. Right, yeah. Do you pour most of your own song ideas into DBA at this point, or did you give some to Yes for your next album there as well? Well, I've been, uh, you know, I've been working on quite a lot of stuff uh, over the last year because obviously we haven't been going out on the road at all. So mm -hmm. it's been a, it's you know, it's been a creative aspect as well. Certainly, uh, you know, that we've been exchanging ideas for the next Yes album as well. Uh, but I think that, that, you know, as far as working with Chris is that the idea is really, you know, that, that I can perceive being good for DBA. 
I, I, I kind of put them in a in a compartment, and you know I'd send those over to Chris, and then you know the same with with Yes. I think that it, it's it's a different vehicle that your creative process is drawn towards. So um, it's it's a bit of both, really. You know, there is some obviously uh, you know the, the way that I work and the way that I write is bound to have some similarities here and there, but. Uh, you know, I try to keep it as separated as possible. Yeah, yeah. The the song Subway Walls certainly was a favorite for many people off the last Yes album, I know. Well, yeah, I think that uh, the last the last album, I, I listened to it recently. I, you know, the, it came under some criticism, I think, for a lot of people uh, because they felt that it was not, you know, it was not very kind of up driven and. You know, it wasn't as sort of manic as previous Yes albums. But uh, I think that, you know, if you look at Yes's history, there have been all kinds of different uh, different chapters, if you like, mm-hmm. that, that reflect the musicians that are in it at any given time. And I think that being the first album that John Davison had come into, uh, it, it took on a you know, different form because, you know, he's a very different kind of creator than, say, John Anderson or... Or you know, uh, in my own sense, Rick Wakeman, we we were you know a different group of musicians, and that's the way it turned out. And I think that yeah, you know, you pick out Subway Wars. I think you know, I'm, I'm still proud of that song. I think it it comes across really well. I think it's a you know it's a, it's a good track on uh, on the last album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By this point, you've had one of the longest consistent runs of any Yes keyboardist, so. Um... <sighs> I imagine. I think the longest. Yeah, I think it's the <laughs> longest actually in terms of duration. Yeah, it's ten years. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know exactly. You know, when when Tony K started again with nine one two five and ended after talk, but it, it's somewhere in there at this point. And uh, I mean, I'd imagine. Yeah, when, I think in terms of continuity, in terms of continuous membership, I think I think I am probably the longest. Yeah, yeah. That's. See, Rick Rick left and. And the Relayer album, and then he came back for going for the one on Tomato, and then, you know, I came in with Trevor. That was very short-lived, but you know, I think we we did a good album. I think Drama's a strong album, and I think that Yes fans have come to, you know, sort of have gone full circle on that and cite it as one of their favorite albums. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely lauded at this point. Um, I imagine when you were invited into the band for the Drama album, you never would have foreseen playing with with them some forty years later. No, playing it in its entirety. I mean, that was a real eye opener to me. Was uh, you know, as I say, when I joined ten years ago, and then we did the Life of Mirror album, and I think we did most of that in its entirety. But then, uh, you know, we started revisiting these uh, album sequences going back right to the you know to the second album time in a word we didn't actually do that one but we started pulling tracks from those albums mm. that you know hadn't been performed for many years if ever at all so it was nice to say when we did the yes album and to do tracks like adventure you know which hadn't ever been performed before so you know as i was going back to the dba when you think that you know i said that we really liked the idea of having an entire album. I think that was something that maybe was in my mind when we were doing all these albums with Yes, you know, in their entirety, mm. that there were certain 
certain tracks that you wouldn't expect to hear or, or you, you know, you'd listen to uh, and maybe not attach too much significance. I mean, when people listen to, say, the Yes album, they wouldn't say a, a venture. They'd say, you know, Starship uh, Trooper or something like that, you know, right. be the big track at their mind. Or yours is no disgrace. But, uh, you know, I think that when you, when you look at those albums and how they're put together, they almost need to be heard as a whole in the way that they were, you know, when people actually bought them originally and they put one side of the vinyl on and they played that and then turned it over and played the next side. So I think this has got value. I think that maybe even more so uh, with what's happened over the last year is that, you know, people are, people are at home, they're listening to music. They don't just want to sit there and download a, a, an MP3 of some uh, track or listen to Spotify or whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to have that, that album there and listen to it uh, in the way that it was uh, intended and was recorded. Yeah, absolutely. What has been the hardest keyboard piece for you to learn from one of the other Yes keyboardists? Well, um, there's some very, very in-depth stuff. I mean, it, it was really a, uh, an incredible learning curve for me to go back to some of the albums because I was not wholly familiar with, with some of the latter or mid-period Yes albums. Mm -hmm. The Tales from Topographic was a very complex uh, song. Uh, things like Awaken from um, Going for the One. You know, they, they, these are really big, complex pieces, you know, and I think that uh, last, the year before last, we went out and we did the uh, Royal Affair tour, uh, which was which was great, and we were doing uh, Games of Delirium from the Reload album. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the most challenging pieces that, uh, you know, that, that uh, from Yes's uh, locker, if you like. Right, and, and I know you're planning on doing the whole Relayer album when you get a chance. Did, did you guys ever get to the point of rehearsing Sound Chaser yet? Uh, no, we didn't, unfortunately. And, and, you know, we all did a lot of work independently on it because that that is probably the most challenging Yes piece of all time, mm -hmm. uh, not just from a keyboard standpoint, but from, you know, the rhythm section. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's full-on uh, hysteria. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's something that you know I was, I, I really raised a challenge. Unfortunately, we, you know, it, it was about the time we were due to go out and we were due to start rehearsing, and then this whole uh, pandemic thing kicked in, and uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to take it out yet. But uh, I think we will. You know, once things start, uh, hopefully, to uh, ease up a bit, we'll, we'll we'll find the window where we can go out and do it. Yeah. What is, what's the state of the forthcoming album? Is that looking like uh, it's pretty much finished at this point? Well, I think we're, uh, we're, not, we're not in, the, in the, the end zone yet, but uh, I think that we've done quite a lot of work uh, over, the, over the months and, uh, you know, certainly towards the end of last year, uh, you know, in developing these ideas that we've been exchanging. Uh, and it's just really a case of, of trying to get everybody into one place. Obviously, it's more difficult now because, you know, we've got three of the guys are in the States and, you know, Steve and I are over here in the UK. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's not been the easiest way of working, but I think we've adapted to, 
to the new normal and and the, the way that you know rather than us all being in one room which is the you know the historic way that uh, yes have worked in the past i think this is a new way of working and it's certainly been you know there's been creative aspects that have come up that may not have happened had we all been you know in that position but yeah. it's been great and i think that we're uh, you know we're on the we're on the road to it we're, we're not uh, as i say we're not on the home straight yet but um uh, you know, it's shaping up very nicely. Oh, good, good. Do you have any ambitions for the future, either with the Buggles or Asia at this point? Well, you know, they're always on my mind. It's, it's funny that, uh, you know, the, the, the Buggles really had more activity in the last 10 years, I think, than that we had, you know, in the, in the previous 30. You know, I think that... <laughs> uh, We've done a few gigs and, um, uh, you know, I'm in constant contact with Trevor. You know, we always talked about we'd like to go out and, you know, give it another try. And uh, so that's that's on, the, you know, that, that's that's work in progress. I think the same with Asia. We went out with, as I said, with the Royal Affair Tour. You know, we did an Asia slot on that with uh, Ron Bonfotal, uh was on guitar and vocals. Mm-hmm. And, and that was great, you know, and, and, and Billy on bass. Uh, obviously, myself and Carl were, were there as well, so it was um, it was nice to hear that music played again. You know, I think for for other people to be able to uh, think that you know Asia's still got you know it's still got potential. Uh, obviously, you know we miss John greatly, uh, mm-hmm. who's a essential part of the whole thing. But uh, you know, I, I think that you know he would have wanted that music to be heard. You know, for, for for as long as we as long as he's able, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're hoping that uh, someday live shows will come back to the fore, and uh, when they do, I, I know DBA has done you know a, a couple of gigs in the past, but do you think that you'd be able to muster anything uh, bigger with with the whole band that you've got now? Well, I'd like to think so. I think that we got a taste for it. It was actually shortly before the uh, before the lockdown started uh, around this time last year, and we really, uh, you know, we did these couple of gigs, and it was it was great fun. You know, I think that when we started out, we never thought DBA would actually, you know, be anything more than just a, a kind of studio project feel sort of thing. But with uh, you know, when we got a taste for it, I think it, it, it brought it home to me that, you know, it does have, you know, the capacity to work well in a live environment. We're on, you know, fourth four albums now, so we've got plenty of DBA material to, um, you know, to, to draw in for a show. So uh, the fact that Chris has now moved back to the UK, I think that we've now got a chance whereby we can be a bit more uh, hands-on together and, and, and see where we can take it. Yeah, wonderful. Well, the new album sounds fantastic. It's... it's oh, good. Thank, thanks, man. Yeah, it's, it's really superb, and uh, it's so warm and inviting, you know, just like the Roger Dean cover, so I'm, I'm glad you have such a beautiful packaging for it as well. Well, I think it's important. You know, I think the... Uh, you know, the album, album sleeve design is something that you know, it doesn't really lend itself too well to being on a, you know, almost like a postcard-sized CD cover. 
And so to be able to have something that's that dynamic and, and, and you can put that out on vinyl and it, it's almost like the old days where people, you know, opened up their those uh, albums and, you know, the goat pole sleeve and all the big writing that they could see and where it was produced and, you know, the photographs. It, it becomes more of a, you know, it's, it's, it's all must-have package. And I think that, you know, that's one of the main things that, that uh, we've tried to achieve with this album is that it's not just, you know, just a bit of music on a, on a CD. You know, this is much more of a, you know, it's much more of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Well, Jeff, thanks for spending some time and talking with us. No, nice, nice to talk to you, Scott. And, uh, you know, good luck with the snow. And <laughs> Thanks. Hope it's not as bad as... Uh, there's Texas or or New Jersey or wherever it is starting to hit at the moment. I know, I know that some places are really hurting, but no, we're we're fortunate. We just had beautiful snow here, and uh, all the power is on. So, yeah, well, you're all prepared for it now. You've, you you live with it exactly. You know? and I think uh, the Texans, it's, it's uh, something of a yeah, something of an anathema to them, isn't it? It sure is. I know. <laughs> Well, uh, ha- have a great night and all the best to you and with the continuation of this release. It's an excellent recording. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Scott. Nice to talk to you. Excellent. You too. Take care, you too. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. 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 Hi, this is Chris Braid from DBA, Downs Braid Association, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. everyone, this is Scott Medina for Sonic Perspectives. Really excited to speak with Chris Braid today. He's over there in uh, in England, and we're talking to you from Colorado today. How are you doing today, Chris? Uh-huh. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, doing wonderful. Yeah, really nice. Good stuff. Uh, it's great we can connect in this way, even in such crazy times. I know. It's really been a sort of a lifesaver actually for for lots of us because we've been able to you know keep in touch with family and i mean i've not seen my family some of them for about getting on for you know over a year right so this has really been great i know for myself as well my parents it's uh even though they've been vaccinated now so hopefully in the future we'll get to do that Um, oh good yeah excellent so let's um let's at least for the start, let's focus on DBA right now. And uh, for a lot of our listeners who might be new to the band, um, why don't we explore a little bit how you and Jeff first came together and developed your musical relationship? I mean, yeah, that that started back in uh, getting over 10 years now, actually, amazingly. It was, um, I've, I've told this story a few times to people recently, that Trevor Horn, who I was involved with the, with the producer's project, called me up one day and said, we're reforming the Buggles for an evening. Do you want to be in the band at the show? We did a a show at the Supper Club in London. And so I said, yeah, yeah, it'd be fantastic. And I met Jeff then. We just really got on very well. We're both keyboard players. And we just have, uh, I mean, I was a huge fan of his from when I was, you know, a lot younger. And we just clicked. So, and that's 10 years ago now. I'm amazed, really. And four albums later, 
I never thought that that would be the case, but it's been a magical kind of connection, really, that we've had. Yeah. So on that night with the Buggles, what instruments did you play? What what did Trevor bring you in to do? I mean, I was playing sort of second keyboard, but I was also singing. I sang a couple of songs. Trevor asked me to sing I'm Not In Love, the 10cc song. Oh, and nice. A couple of backing vocals and things like that. It was just really great. You know, we were playing The Age of Plastic with all the multi-tracks and it was just fascinating and, and great fun. And Yeah, and I just, I met Jeff and I thought I've known him forever. It was just one of those things. And then I thought, you know, this is unfortunate because I'm moving to the US. So I was actually, it was the eve of me moving to Los Angeles. And I thought, here I am. I've met this guy that I really get on great with musically. And I'm, I'm leaving. But he said not to worry. I'm going to be there myself in a week because I'm doing Fly From Here. Yes, so it was perfect. <laughs> nice, yeah, that is yeah, perfect. good timing. Well, it's interesting because you know the band is a duo, just the two of you, and you both are primarily keyboardists. So, how mm. do you navigate that in the songwriting? Like, do you end up moving more to the guitar than you normally would, or are you both approaching it as keyboardists? Yeah, absolutely, it works really well because he will send me, um, you know, the germ of an idea in as a logic file. He'll send it to me and then I'll, you know, usually nine and a half times out of ten, love it and and think, yep. And then I'll add my keyboard parts to it. Or in some sort of cases like, um, you know, a song like Your Heart Will Find The Way, he had the verse pattern and the, the riff. And then I added the chords in the chorus. And so we'll sort of blend elements together like that. And they just... I, I sort of get where he's coming from and vice versa. He knows what I will like, you know, so he'll send me an idea like the chords from, uh, you know, Warm Summer Sun, because he knows that I'll kind of like that kind of thing. And then I'll add, you know, sec- chord sections to it and just build it into a a, a, a big, you know, towering <laughs> thing, whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> so it sounds you know. like you collaborate on most of it then. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, as as yeah, it was sort of, I suppose it's like a, you know, some kind of symphonic kind of keyboard textures that we merge together, and yeah, it just kind of works. I don't know why it works, but it just does. Yeah. So and especially with the new album, Halcyon Hymns was just so easy to write those songs. Mm. And sometimes that's not always the case. Sometimes you you, know, you sit there and go, oh, God, you know, come on, you know, why is this thing not working? But with Halcyon Hymns, those songs just they just fell out. And I don't know if it was part of, you know, the energy with what was going on with COVID and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, the muse was begging us to be creative and just, you know, pour pour the energy into doing something positive and it really worked, I think. Oh absolutely. And so is writing this album pretty much the standard approach you would have for doing it remotely anyway, or have the two of you ever been in the same room for one of your albums before? Oh yeah, we've been in the same room. We wrote a lot of the songs for the first album that we did, Pictures of You. We wrote those, pretty much all of them in the same room. Mm -hmm. And then they were finished off, you know, um, at a distance. Because Jeff Jeff was there with Yes, working on Fly From Here, and then, you know, he was sort of doing a bit of a moonlighting episode, and when he when he'd finished the sessions with Yes, he would then come to my studio and we'd write songs for Pictures of You. But then he, when he went back to London, I finished it off, you know. So we did write all those songs together and we wrote some of the songs for Suburban Ghosts in the same room. We wrote 
dreaming of England in the same room together. Mm. So a lot of uh, a lot of sort of um, talk of us never actually being in the same room when we do DBA is not entirely true. We have been in the room quite a bit, but the finishing of it is usually from a distance, you know. So with the songs from Halcyon Hymns, for instance, all the guitars were done in England while I was in Los Angeles and the files were sort of bouncing around and being sent back to me in the studio. But that was what everybody was doing because of circumstances. So yeah. it's almost like the world's caught up with us. <laughs> it, it is. It is in that way. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned that you started off in this one-off gig with the Buggles and of course with their more electronic approach, I noticed that you also have a love for electro pop music and you even had a project called Hello Leo along yeah. more along those lines. So I'm curious how DBA didn't follow that track of more the electronic buggles and you instead went more toward the piano and the prog rock kind of landscape. Yeah, I suppose, you know, you get a bit tired of programming and, and sort of synthetic sounds. It's one of those things that, I mean, the Hello Leo thing was, again, it's just that these things, I, I'm never bored because I just create situations for myself. There's a bit of downtime, I'll make something happen, you know. So Hello Leo was just some kind of mad, it's like a mad professor in a studio just mucking about with gear. And then I got a friend of mine, Theophilus London, who's a rapper from Brooklyn, to put the rap over the top. And it was just a bit of fun, you know. But I think with DBA, my heart really is where this album is, really. And I think that the, the, the sound of it is really what I've always loved. But yes, you're right. I do like, you know, I, I listen to the, you know, Pet Shop Boys or a great Soft Cell single from the 80s and think, yeah, it's magnificent and, and a fantastic bit of pop. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the older I get, the more my heart sort of is pulled towards, you know, those kind of widescreen symphonic kind of big records. I, I still love them, you know, and I still listen to them a lot. You know, I'll never get bored of listening to, you know, Yes or Genesis or, you know, all that sort of stuff, or Pink Floyd, you know. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing giving... Uh considering what the songwriting that you do for a lot of other superstar pop artists are, that you've also yeah. got that background and that love. Um, but I think also, you know, it's interesting because you're absolutely right. But I think if you actually dissect some of that stuff, particularly the stuff I write with Sia, I, there's a lot of that in there. Mm -hmm. I sneak it in, you know, so there's, there are epic moments with Sia, like Unstoppable or, or you know, or Kill and Run, songs like that. If you actually strip them down, all the songs, I mean, from the songs I write with Sia or the songs I write with Jeff, you strip them all down, they've all got the same kind of skeleton in a way, you know. And I still, I bring that bit of kind of grandiosity, if you like, to whatever I do. Because that's the kind of music that I love. I, I couldn't do the pop stuff if, if I didn't have those elements in it. Right. You know, big chords and kind of, you know, big choruses and stuff, so... Yeah, and, and we're, we're jumping ahead a bit for listeners who aren't aware. Chris has a, a, a substantial background in, in songwriting for a number of, of very well-known, successful pop artists. And, and like you just mentioned, um, on the song Unstoppable, I heard the version that you did yourself uh, with just solo piano in the background. Yeah. And it's so different hearing you just accompanying yourself on a piano with that song versus the huge production 
that you do yeah. like with Sia and and you're the producer on that as well as the songwriter right well I co-produced it yeah I co-produced mm -hmm. co it but yeah I mean it's horses for courses really I mean I I think you know I've always loved great songwriters like um you know Neil Finn was a great songwriter and he always used to talk about how you know and it's, it's, it's kind of you know obvious really but if you could play a song on a piano or an acoustic guitar without all the embellishments that the studio adds you know then you're onto something yeah but if you write in the studio you can kind of get a bit hoodwinked by fancy toys you know and the song ends up being lost slightly or or maybe it sounds better than what it actually is because it's you know it's been polished to a certain degree so i think with unstoppable my version of the piano really somebody said to me actually you should put all the demos out your original versions that because i'll always do a demo of a song at the piano in the studio once the session's over just to hear it and just to make sure it works and i play it to a few people i trust you know and someone said you should put them out because they're interesting as kind of guide versions and i think that i've, I've kind of grown to appreciate the song as a you know in its simplest form actually you know and, and i think that i can sort of trust it then if it's dressed in the big big production clothes mm -hmm. i think oh it's still a good song there it's not just all fancy bells and whistles you know right so those well that's what i think is very evident on the new dva album also is that even though there's these very lush large production uh, symphonic production at the base of it there's just wonderful harmonies and and melodies and songs that are at the core of it and yeah. in this case you know instead of big bells and whistle production value you know you've got some great musicians uh, that you've brought in yeah. um dave bainbridge playing a huge role on on the guitar mm. oh, amazing fantastic yeah and there's a lot of mandolin on the album too i noticed yeah, well, Dave was, I mean, he's a sort of, you know, um, virtuoso player, but he really picked up on, you know, I sent him the roughs, so the, the keyboards and the drums, the bass, on all the vocals were finished when Dave did his parts. He's actually one of the, the last kind of, um, you know, elements to, to go onto the finished thing. But he really picked up on the Kate Bush um influence because i'm a huge kate bush fan and i think anyone who knows me knows that by now and her you know re records i've loved since i was you know since the year dot so he really picked up on that especially with things like remembrance and uh, and there's another song that he thought sounded very kate bush like and he said i think you know what about a bit of mandolin and bazooki because you know i kind of that's what she would do and it was like yes it's perfect exactly so it was almost like you know, the songs really dictated what instrumentation should should sort of go on. It wasn't really we discussed it. The songs actually suggested it, which mm. was really nice, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a natural kind of thing in, a way, in that respect. Does he play all the guitars or does he more do the solos and, and you layer in some guitars yourself as well? I mean, he plays all the solos, absolutely. You know, it's mm -hmm. absolutely blinding player but yeah. yeah i play some acoustic guitar on, on on it and a bit of electric but you know things my guitar parts will be things like the uh, there's a little riff at the beginning of love among the ruins that's just playing a little exactly i was going to ask about that one yeah <laughs> yeah but it's that's very me that's very like little pop hook you know right 
and he obviously plays the incredible, insane solos. I mean, he's just a fantastic player. I wouldn't even attempt it. Right, right. And then, <laughs> and then that ending uh, instrumental section at the end of King of the Sunset, you know, there's a, a lot of room, it sounds like, that you gave him there to, to yeah. explore. Yeah, I absolutely did. And I just said, you know, just think about the landscape. Think about looking out over the hillside. You're in, you know, you're on the South Downs, West Sussex, whatever. And it's a beautiful a sort of autumn, you know, evening. And you're there with the person that you want to be with. Mm. And he's, he just got it, you know, he understood it. Mm. He liked the sort of... Uh, that kind of, you know, sort of widescreen approach to, you know, the, the songs. Again, the songs kind of suggest it, the lyrics do, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the whole, al- the whole album has this theme of, you know, reverie and illustrated in the title of the Halcyon Hymns. So did you set out with that concept initially or did it develop as you were writing the songs? Um, I think it developed as we were writing songs, actually, I think the first song, if I'm right, was uh, Your Heart Will Find The Way. That was the first song that came out as I was in the studio. And I thought, you know, that sounds kind of, you know, it sort of sounds upbeat, but the message is, there's a juxtaposition because the message is sort of like, you know, I suppose like some kind of message to your, your psyche or whatever, you know, to keep going, don't, you know, not to, uh, not to give up hope or whatever. But then the second song, Love Among the Ruins, um, suggested more of how the album shaped up, you know. I think that that song is the sort of kingpin song, actually. After that was written, then suddenly it was like, oh, okay, I get it. This is what the album's about, Hmm. you know. And it was kind of, um, I suppose, uh, trying to sort of write the world I wanted to be in at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. You know, not the one that I was actually in, because that was strange and and worrying and scary. And I, you know, heard about um, a couple of people I'd, I'd actually worked with. You know, Matthew Seligman, great bass player from Thomas Dolby's mm-hmm. band, and also the Camera Club. He was one of the first people I heard of who'd actually passed away with COVID. It was such a shock, and this was right in the middle of writing these songs. So it was really like. Yeah, gosh, this thing's real. It's really happening. Mm-hmm. And so the songs really were an escape, hopefully an escape for anyone who's listening as well. Yeah. You know, they kind of just, they sort of presented themselves. It's really strange. And it's not being sort of, uh, you know, uh, cliche to say that the songs just fell out and wrote themselves. But sometimes that happens, I think. Yeah, yeah. And you also, as with the uh, last album, too, you have this poetic narration that is interspersed. Uh, what can you tell us about that approach? Well, he's a friend of mine. He's a fantastic writer, Barney Ashton. And um, we've been working on something bef- bef- uh, just before Skyscraper Souls uh, was written. We've been working on the idea of uh, play together, a song cycle, if you like, Um based on some dystopian sort of world and it was all very interesting and you know he'd sent me some lyrics and I'd written music to them and yeah he's just got a great way with the English language he's, he, and he, he, he speaks so beautifully you know and so I would say to him you should say some of these things you actually speak them 
anyway, cut a long story short, when we were writing songs for Skyscraper, Souls, I said, why don't you speak some of the the bits that you've sent me? And so he did that and we used it him a little bit on the album. But with this one, it was just a natural progression, just to have that beautiful voice of his and his fantastic words, you know, really featured. And I think it really worked. But I think he, for me, he sort of weaves the narrative of the songs together. He kind of brings it in and sort of makes it coherent. Mm. And it's also a break from the musicality because there's a lot of it on there. And, you know, and a lot of singing and a lot of harmony. So he kind of breaks that up as well with Mm -hmm. the speaking. Yeah, it's just a natural thing, really. He's just got such a great way with words. It was, we've got to use more of him, you know. Yeah. He's become like a part of the sound now. I couldn't imagine doing something without him in a way. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And what other musical guests have you brought in? this time around? Um, so we've got Dave, um, David Longton uh, sings the harmony on on, a, on King of the Sunset. And also Mark Armand again is um, duetting on Warm Summer Sun. And, and it's not in any way to try and recreate what we did with the last album. It just felt like, well, we all had fun doing that. Mm. And David Longton got up with us and did the shows at Trading Boundaries. and. It was just such a fun thing, and you know, I, I, he was keen to do more, and we just thought, you know, well, we should just we should do it again because it was. And I think actually, for me, in some ways, I think the song that Mark sings on on this album is is more how I suppose you know I don't know I shouldn't say it because some people may love the Skin Deep, which I do as well, but I think Warm Summer Sun. That's the song that if I was going to play one of the DBA songs with Mark, I would play that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think we stepped it up the gear again. I think each album seems to have progressed in, in some way and stepped up a gear. Yeah. So those two, those two guys are, are you know, very, very important yeah. characters. Yeah, and speaking of live performance, I mean, it seems like you're primarily rooted in the recording studio how important is live performance to you? Live performance is fantastic. I, I absolutely love live performance. I've never been one of those artists that could play, you know, 300 shows a year. And I know guys that do that, you know, and they sort of live for it. I mean, I've known Squeeze for, you know, a lot, a lot of my life, actually, since I was very young. And they live for being on the road. I mean, they would rather just live on the road, you know? Yeah. And I was never that sort of person, really. I kind of, um, I love the creativity. I love being in the studio. I like creating new things. Like, I would sort of, I don't know if it's, but it's sort of selfish with my time in some ways. I would get a bit bored of singing the same things night after night, mm. you know? Yeah. I want to make new stuff, yeah. I, you know? And I think with the live kind of scene, you tend to have to repeat yourself a lot. I think that would drive me crazy as the sort of person I am. I'm, I'm, I get excited about the new stuff, you know. Right. But I do, I do love it. And when Jeff and I performed, well, songs from, uh, at that, that point, three albums, you know, there was quite a, a lot of material to draw, you know, draw from. And, and it was great to just sort of present them on the stage and hear the songs being sort of freed, if you like. It was really fantastic. 
Yeah. And we're definitely keen to do more. In fact, we were going to do more, but all this happened, you know. Right. Yeah, hopefully next year, 2022, we'll have a lot of live gigs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned being, you know, a fan of Yes, and obviously you've worked with the uh, the Buggles portion of that. Have you had interaction with other members of Yes as well? Um, not much, no, I, I haven't actually. Um, I don't know why that is, but I think, um, I suppose you pick, your, you, you choose your sort of, your gang, don't you, in a way, and I was, uh, I've always been, I suppose, involved with, you know, those guys, like you say, the, the, the sort of bugglesy side, you know, Steve Lipson as well, and um, yeah, I suppose there's a bit of, uh, from from my point of view, a bit of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, loyalty in some ways, you know, that my, you know, my buddy is, is, is Jeff, you know, so I've not really felt the need to go explore. And also it's a band that I love. So sometimes you, it's great to meet your heroes, but it's also great not to meet them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, especially one with such a, uh, dramatic history um oh yes yeah well i i was dipping back into the album with the producers uh speaking of of trevor horn and uh just really Mm -hmm. really loved that project and um i'm trying to remember which of those songs were specifically yours or did you collaborate a lot as a band um we collaborated a bit but i would usually write the tunes for most of it I think the only one I didn't really write um, that much was Garden of Flowers, but the rest of it, I wrote all the tunes and I wrote all the lyrics for Freeway. I wrote all the lyrics for Man on the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a great project, but I think um, it got a bit sour in the end in, in, in some ways because I left yeah. uh, because I've been doing it for four years, you know, and, and I eventually moved to the U S and yeah, it was unfortunate. They, kept trying to sort of say fly back and do some gigs or fly back and do photos and that kind of thing but at the time when they were busy doing that I was working with Sia and that really you know changed my life in some ways you know so it was the right move for me it was unfortunate they sort of um, removed some of the vocals and that kind of thing and all got a little bit petty but you know it was it was great fun to write the album and we did do some great gigs. We played the Albert Hall and played, uh, you know, some really memorable sort of uh, private parties. We played Jeremy Clarkson's 50th birthday party and got Roger Daltrey up on stage with us. <laughs> uh, it was quite funny because we'd rehearsed uh, My Generation with him and we got it down. Perfect. Okay, this is going to be great. Roger gets up. We do My Generation. It goes without a hitch. But he's just so into it then that he starts suggesting other songs for us to do, and we haven't rehearsed them. <laughs> so that was a very interesting evening. But yeah, it was it was a fun project. I did I and it was I it was a good um, I suppose uh, you know I, I learned a lot from it. It's great, and I wouldn't have met Jeff had I not been part of that. Right, right. And I'm still proud of some of the songs. I think you know, and Lol and I sat at the piano and wrote. Man on the Moon, you know, I still love that song. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. And so is there any avenue for those songs to live on? I mean, you just mentioned you always are 
looking to create the new thing, but um, would you ever want to perform some of those songs that, that you wrote in a future, whether it's with DBA or, or some other project in the future? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, every time, which is not very often, but every couple of years, I bump into Trevor and he will say, we should do a producer's gig, you know. <laughs> it's one of those things, it's almost like unfinished business in a way. Yeah. It's a bit like, um, you know, the, in some ways, the the five of us are, are secretly really keen to get back in a room together, <laughs> you know. And But maybe maybe something should be left, you know, yeah. as, as a sort of, you know what I mean? A wish or a dream or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, you still... I mean, you never know. Yeah, and, and you play regularly with Ash, of course, is, is your long-standing drummer, right? Right. With EBA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've known Ash since um, the sort of mid-90s. Mm-hmm. So we've been working together a long time. He's fantastic. I mean, I just, you know, I could use a different drummer, but why? I mean, he's so good, and mm-hmm. we get on so well. And he makes me laugh, so... Yeah. Even better. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking back of the '90s, before you were writing for, you know, all of these other uh, superstars, you know, you were on track to be more of a superstar yourself. You know, you worked with uh, Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics and even Thomas Dolby. Um, yeah. For you, how was that life in the camera eye compared to being more of the songwriter with other artists? Yeah, it was really interesting. It was a fantastic experience. I mean, I look back now, I think, God, you know, at least I did it. You know, it's better than sitting on the sofa and watching TV. You know, so I, I did do that for quite some time. And I don't, I don't know, I was from a, a small town in the north of England and I was obsessed with music and then suddenly found myself in studios all over the world with really famous people. And it was no one had done anything like that, you know, in my town. So it was it was mad and brilliant. But I think, you know, if I'm really honest, I, I remember Dave saying to me once, actually, we're in the church studios working on an album. And he looked at me and he said um, something like, this is the easy bit, the sort of studio bit. And he was basically implying that out there it gets kind of a bit tricky. I think if I'm honest now, if I look back now, I sort of think, well, I love the experience of making videos and doing albums and working with all these great people. But the idea of of like some kind of mass fame didn't really appeal to me. And I think it, I think I sort of shied away from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. If it ever got too close, which a couple of times it did with single releases and things. And I sort of, I think I maybe sabotage it slightly. I think it was fear actually. Mm. And I'm still a little bit like that. I don't, you know, I sort of look at programs like X Factor and American Idol and I think you really want that, you know? Yeah. It's interesting, but some people love it and great, good for them. It wasn't for me though. Right. Is there a huge distinction for you internally when you're writing a piece of music? Um, if you're writing it for a project of your own or versus if you're working with another artist who's going to be, you know, recording and performing it, or is it just music that's flowing regardless of who ultimately is going to record and perform it? I mean, it depends who I'm working with, really. Uh, I, I suppose um, I'm not really one of those songwriters that is a sort of, you know, I turn up to work with a guitar, you know. I attend I, I to the people I, I choose to work with or, you know, I'm fortunate that I can 
quite choosy, I suppose, these days, are people that I kind of relate to in some ways artistically. So somebody like Sia, for instance, is just such a, a great artist. And it's, or Mark Armand, you know, another person that I really love working with because I suppose I'm sort of making music and they're fronting it, but there's not that much distinction between them fronting it or me fronting it. It's just music we, we're really, um, you know, immersed in and believe in. And songs like, uh, you know, Kill and Run or Unstoppable, you mentioned, things like that, they're not, or, you know, Big Girls Cry even, not that I could sing that, but um, they're not written in a cynical, we must write a hit sort of way. They'd probably be even bigger successes if they were, perhaps, but they weren't, you know, they're just written as beautiful bits of music that we were into. Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate in a way that I can I can work with that sort of mentality and it and it works you know hopefully yeah. carries on with <laughs> <laughs> is there any other um projects or things that you'd like people to know i mean i mentioned you have that singer songwriter solo uh release and i heard one of uh piano improvs that you did as well and um you know a few years back you had this oceanic feeling as well as as a project anything else you want to share with people that you're working on now and excited with well, I, you know, right now I'm just immersed in sort of housing hymns and it's all encompassing, really, you know, I believe in it so much. And um, we've had a lot of really good feedback, actually. There's, there's been a, a distinct, you know, um, kind of, you know, step up with the kind of, you know, the feeling out there. And that's been really nice. I mean, yeah, I did the piano thing, but, you know, I'm one of those people that, like I say, I never get bored. I suppose I'm a bit kind of... Uh, restless in some ways there's always something going on mm-hmm. i mean i played um some songs the other night i talked to lee pomeroy from this oceanic feeling amongst other great bands and i said you know i discovered that we'd actually made a second album it just never came out four years ago <laughs> you know so there's always something going on and he's like bloody hell yeah wow i, d- I don't really stop <laughs> in terms of create creativity what else am i going to do you know sit and watch tv i like doing it you know and I always hear Paul McCartney say things like, if I wasn't doing it for a job, I'd do it for a hobby. And I feel exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So there'll be something on the cards at some point. Yeah, well, that's the mark of a real creative artist, uh, of course. And it sounds like you live in a very inspirational place, too, that uh, you could draw in a lot from nature as well. Yeah, well, I've not been here that long, actually, because I was in Los Angeles for 10 years. Right. And I've just I've just come back. It felt like the right time to come back. I suppose there was a some kind of calling, you know, for home, you know, with what was going on. And so I've come back here, and it is actually it's nice to be back, and feels quite I can sort of relax a little bit, you know. Yeah. LA is quite quite a place, and it's a fantastic place, but it's mm-hmm. it requires your you know stamina. Mm. Yeah. Well, the, the the new album is is brilliant. I'm absolutely loving it, and uh, really wish you guys a, a lot of success coming out with it. And uh, fantastic. We'll uh, we'll play a track from it at at the end of this interview. Is there one in particular that you would recommend, and maybe like to cue up with a, an intro to the song? I mean, do you have a, how long do you have? Because I could suggest two songs that seem to be going down 
really well with people. Yeah, we... one of them is one of them is Love Among the Ruins, um, which, as I said earlier on, you know, seemed to encapsulate what the album is about and the feeling of the album. Or the final track, Remembrance, which also ties and ties up and concludes the album narrative, if you like. So, I mean, I like the album to be heard in its entirety, but of course you can't play the entire album. Right. So I would, I would suggest if you want a quick song, Love Among the Ruins, and if you want to immerse yourself in a bit of indulgence, you know, then Remembrance. Yeah, Remembrance has, you know, right at the start, it has those three spacious, evocative chords. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I could just sense right away, I was like, oh, that, that's a nice progression right there. It's a nice progression, yeah. And then it just builds up the entire 11 minutes, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it, yeah, I'm really proud of the sound of it, actually. Yeah, it was one of those things that, because those chords are so lovely, it, it never wanted to break away from the progression. And so that's why, again, the song dictated the arrangement, it's, it kept saying to me, just add more, keep going. Don't break away from it. Don't go to a different chord section. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was just one of those things. It's hypnotic and, and it's, it's not long for the, for, the, for the sake of it. It feels absolutely the right length to me. And it's, and it's interesting that to me as well, how, you know, you can get a song that's, you know, two and a half minutes long, like an old new wave song, like a Joe Jackson song. And it's perfect. And it never feels too short. But you can have a song like, you know, our song, Remembrance, or, you know, many other long songs that I love. And it doesn't feel too long. So sometimes it's as long as it needs to be, isn't it? Right, right. And then Barney comes in, especially toward yeah. the end, with that long poetic section too. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a great job on that end section. And in the studio, I must admit, I was, I was glad no one was there because, you know, it's kind of, you know, sort of, uh, yes, it's a very emotional piece. Yeah. Well, let's close with that one. Um, you know, I, I would imagine most people who are listening to this have already heard Love Among the Ruins since it's the first single out. And, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously a, a fantastic lead-off track, but most people have probably heard that. So let's yeah, close true. Let's close with Remembrance. Yeah. Fantastic. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks so much for talking with us today, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate, you know, your, your support and, you know, I'm really glad you like the album. Yeah, love it. Love it. Fantastic. Okay, all the best to you. You too. Okay, cheers. Bye. 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 Thanks to Chris Braid and Jeff Downs for speaking with us today about their new album from the Downs Braid Association. We hope you enjoyed listening and learned a lot of new tidbits from the album and their careers. And so we encourage you to subscribe to the Sonic Perspectives YouTube channel and also follow us on social media for the latest news, interviews, and reviews. And we're going to close now with that track from their new album. This is Remembrance. From the summer solstice to that autumn's equinox, three months... One loved up long ago is the stuff of the passion of our remembrance.
more censorious summer Dorset days. We looked for magic mushrooms on the coastal path. The cherry tree was hung with bloom along the bough and through the Oh, 
we love, we love, we love this dirty old ground and our hearts were racing. And we dreamed, we dreamed about this dirty old ground of all the places. Childhood was a colourful place. finest shroud on everything. Everywhere, muting all vivid seasonal vibrancy to hazy pastel shades. And we would lie and watch the God-filled glassy sky as silent horses ate away the funny floor. Here in the afterglow of fading summertime We took it in, we breathed it in, the beauty of it all But we love, we love, we love this dirty old ground and our hearts were racing Yes, we dreamed, we dreamed about this dirty old ground of all the places And we dreamed, we dreamed about this dirty old ground of all the places Golden, blinding sun, scorching and bleaching the red, thick velvet curtains While God forever gazed down Sundays sprawled in the glorious sun at St. Alden's head. While God forever gazed down, oh, we love, we love, we love the steady old ground. Our hearts were bracing And we dreamed, we dreamed about the sturdy old ground Of all the places About the sturdy old ground of all the places. 
Oh, we love, we love, we love this dirty old ground And our hearts were racing And we dream, we dreamed about this dirty old ground Of all the places Heat haze, breaking waves Mirages of love on sun-drunk esplanades Strawberry mivy, orange maid Parasols, boating lakes, young lovers getting laid Hand in hand on midnight piers and promenades Skinny dipper kisses in moonlit midnight coves and caves Bumblebees buzz the swimsuit fitties Tanning on their wobbly chaise lounge as bees pollinate the floral displays of English gardens drenched in deaf bird song. Bucket and spade and ballroom dance, cream teas, jams, scones or scones. Holiday camp romance recalled in the homeward bound coach sing-alongs. Morris dancers, May queens, May bugs, bluebells, ice pops, buttercups, Punch and Judy, bathing beauties, knobbly knees, the ladies excuse me dance, hosepipe bands and watering cans, fire hydrants opened and through the gush we ran, camping and barbecue alfresco eats, the chance we may or may not meet, lovers and friends. In a prom bandstand the concert brass pops, in striped deck chairs, the Mr. Whippy Liquors start to imbibe the tastes and sounds that uplift land lovers' hearts in an England long ago, my summer love. Love ends, love parts. As your paddle steamer slalomed through the nubile coteries of surfers, so my open-top coastal surface bus stopped on the cusp of winter. I'm waiting for the secrets you said you'd tell As I hold to my ear your parting gift A powdering seashell Painted with the motto Wish you were here A memento mori of an unfinished story Wrought in a summer long gone Of sports days, church fates, carnivals, street parties and pride Wimbledon Henley and Harvest Festivals, we, sandcastles smolched in a shift of tide. Goodbye, my love. Goodbye. <laughs>